So I don't know about you, but I grew up in the church from the time I was a little kid right on through. My dad was actually a pastor of a church, so it's kind of all I ever knew as a as a kid. And in those days, we had this thing called Sunday school. I'm sure some churches still do it, but it feels like it's more like a, a thing of a bygone era. And if you don't, if you didn't grow up in the church and you're not sure what Sunday school is, it's basically this. You show up an hour or so before the real service so that you can have more kind of Bible teaching in an age kind of broke down way. Kind of like a school, you'd go with other kids in your general age bracket and you'd have what's called Sunday school, which would be like Bible readings and memory verses. You'd memorize scripture and all those kinds of things. The kids were normally down in the basement of the church. I feel like I can still smell that damp church basement smell if I think hard enough about it. So you'd have Sunday school, only then go upstairs and have regular church um, for about an hour, and then you'd go home for a couple hours in the afternoon on Sundays, only to come back for evening church and evening service. So Sundays were like the trifecta of church gatherings. And when we were in Sunday school as kids, we used to sing this song, and you'll have to forgive my voice, but it went a little something like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Come on, if you know it, sing it with me. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. For the Lord he wanted to see. So we sang this song about this guy named Zacchaeus, and the thing that really stood out was the line, a wee little man was he. So this poor guy, this is a real guy if you don't know, by the way. We're going to check out his story together. But think about this. 2,000 years later, kids in a damp, dark church basement at Sunday school are singing about a guy named Zacchaeus and referring to him as a wee little man. I'm not sure that's the way you want to go down in history being referred to, but that's it. And that's what we're talking about today, this story, this interaction between Jesus and this man named Zacchaeus. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. We're going to turn, uh, flip it over, in, or if you have an app, whatever, to Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to get going. As you do that, I want to give you a little background on kind of first century kind of hospitality rules. So um, ingrained kind of in the culture of the Jewish people was this high value for hospitality of welcoming in the stranger, of making sure you provide food for someone who's in need, of extending yourself and, and really welcoming people in. This was a really, really high value. It wasn't just a nice thing, but it was something that was required. This is what you were to do. And and there's even all these lists of rules you can find where what it meant to be a good host and how to welcome people and not to look disappointed if, if they happen to show up at mealtime, uh, but to share your food and to welcome them into your space. And, and there's even some guidelines on what it meant to like not be a parasite, like don't be that person who's always taking advantage of the hospitality, the goodness, and the generosity of other people. So this is all part of their culture in terms of like sharing meals, sharing space, opening up their homes for those passing through, those traveling, the stranger, those in need. This was part of it. Um, a few years ago, I even came across this reference where it talked about um, in ancient Jerusalem, when you were about to have a meal, you could raise a flag outside of your house. Uh, you'd just kind of raise a flag up above your house, and it was like the signal to those around you that, hey, if you need a meal, we are about to get started so you can come and get a meal at our house. Imagine that, announcing when mealtime is so that people who had need, people who didn't have enough to eat or have anything to eat, would know where they could go and where they would be welcomed. I kind of equate it to like a modern day um, 
smoker. Do you guys know what the green, big green egg is or some of those Komodo style smokers? So I have a few friends who are well into this and it's like when you're going to their house for dinner and they're smoking some meat or something, all you have to do is pull into the neighborhood and all you can smell is that delicious aroma. Apologies to the vegans in the house, but all you can smell is like the ribs or the, you know, the beef brisket or whatever going on. But it's kind of like announcement, hey, we're about to have a delicious meal. And that's kind of what I picture, like they raised the flag and those who had need could come and have a meal. So that's some of the context of what it meant to like welcome, extend hospitality, be generous with the things you have. And that's important, I think, in this story. So hopefully you have your Bibles. Um, Luke chapter 19, I'm going to read it. We're going to pull some things out um, and uh, and see kind of what impresses on us. We believe that even if you have read this story a hundred times, or this is the first time you've ever kind of read this account of Jesus and his interaction with this man named Zacchaeus, my hope is that there's still new things and there's still ways that God gets our attention in these stories and ways that kind of God nudges at our thinking and our hearts and our emotions to be like, what does this mean? What did it mean for them in this context? And what could that mean for us today as followers of Jesus or those who are considering following Jesus? So let's jump right in. Uh, Luke chapter 19, it says this, beginning at verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. So again, that's the, the name, like the reference, right? Zacchaeus that we used to sing those stories. And if you notice, it says he was a chief tax collector in the region. So again, he is a Jewish man. It's important to know that he's a Jewish man who's working on behalf of the Roman Empire. So many people would view him as a traitor and a sellout because he is working for the foreign occupying kind of um, government um, power, the Roman Empire. He's working on their behalf to collect taxes against his own fellow Jewish people. And when it notes that he's gotten very rich, there's definitely some skimming off the top that would have been taking place. So he's one of their own, and yet he is working for those that are oppressing and occupying their territory, and he's getting rich off of them. So he would have been not a well-liked man. And so he is this chief tax collector, and Jesus is making his way through this zone uh, where Zacchaeus is. It says, um, Verse 3, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So that's where Zacchaeus was a wee little man. That line in the song comes. He tried to get a look at Jesus. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. So you may ask the question, why on earth did this guy want to take uh, catch a glimpse of Jesus? So, you know, it's interesting that everywhere Jesus went, crowds seemed to follow. They would be figuring out and trying to find out where's he going to go next and they would follow wherever he's going and they want a little piece of him. Hey, would you heal me? Would you um, give me a good teaching? Would you tell me or reveal something about God to me? Um, all these kinds of things. People looking for miracles, looking to be close. There's something that was just drawing and attracting large crowds. And so it's no doubt that Zacchaeus has, had probably heard of Jesus, knew that he was coming this way. Crowds were probably forming. And like anybody, no matter kind of who you are or where you are at in life, when something is you know, that big a phenomenon, you kind of want to catch a glimpse for yourself. It's like the celebrities walking by, so let's take a look. But he's too short of stature to see. He can't kind of see where Jesus is going to go. So he takes matters into his own hands and he climbs the tree and he's he's determined, I'm, I'm going to get a look at who this Jesus is. Um, when it talks about him being too short, the, the Greek, um, 
really talks about or really alludes to the idea that he had not reached full stature. Um, his size, his length, he had not reached full stature. So there's something about his physical uh, growth that made it really difficult for him to see over the top of other people. I don't know how tall he was, how short he was, who knows. But he takes matters into his own hands. He's going to catch a glimpse of this Jesus. Verse 5, it says, When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, come quick, uh, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. So just picture the scene. Zacchaeus is like, I got to catch a glimpse of this Jesus. I'm going to climb this tree and take a look. And then he must have been like, wait, not only is he passing by here. Oh, wait, he's getting a lot closer. He's actually coming right over to me. He's looking up at me. And what on earth? He's calling me by name. He's calling me by name, Zacchaeus. Who is this guy? How does he know my name? And then note what Jesus says. I must be a guest in your your home today. I must be. There's like this sense of urgency on Jesus' part. I must come. I, I need to spend time with you. I must be a guest in your home. Which immediately for a Jewish first century man, anybody would have tripped that idea of like, I got to extend hospitality, I got to be ready, I got to welcome in the stranger, this traveling person, that would have all kicked into gear. Like this guy wants, not only wants to, but he's saying he has to, like he, he really wants to come and he knows my name. You know, this, this guy Zacchaeus, who's been an enemy of his people, a traitor to his people, the one that's coming by that everyone wants to catch a glimpse of, everyone wants a little time and peace, a time with and a little peace of, calls Zacchaeus by name and says, I'm going to come to your house. I'm hanging out with you. And so you can imagine Zacchaeus is like, oh my goodness, he knows who I am and he wants to come hang out at my pad. So this, it's, this has got to be like really exciting day for Zacchaeus. But then note the reaction of the crowd. In verse 7 it says, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Right? Because that's who Zacchaeus was. He represented someone who was the worst. He was selling out his own people. He was cheating his own people. He was getting rich off his own people. And he was working as an agent of this Roman Empire. Like they hated him. How, why on earth would Jesus be doing this? So they're grumbling, they're upset. Like why would Jesus pick this guy? How does he, how does Jesus know this guy's name and why on earth would he go to his house? Pick it up again in verse 8. It says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. So we kind of have a gap in this story, right? It's like, it's like when you're watching a movie and something's happening and all of a sudden you're into a new scene and you're like, wait, what's happened? There's obviously been a lot that's gone on here. And I think that's what's going on in this story. We don't know. Jesus is saying, I, I need to come to your house, Zacchaeus. I, I must be a guest in your home. People are upset and grumbling, but the next thing we hear is Zacchaeus is making these really grand statements about how he wants to make things right. So we don't know. We don't know what kind of meal they had. We don't know what kind of conversations. We don't know what Jesus was saying to him. We don't know what happened, why this change of heart, what made Zacchaeus say these things. But he says some really, really profound things. So as a rich man, note the first thing he says, I'm going to give half of my wealth, half of my riches to the poor. So right away, he's going to say, I have this much money, I'm taking half of it, I'm giving it away. So think about that. Think about how hard and how long he would have worked to amass that wealth. The number of people he offended, those he cheated, the enemies he had gained through the work he was in, the dishonesty, the cheating, the lying, the stealing. 
And something about that time with Jesus, that meal with Jesus, that time of welcoming Jesus as the stranger into his house, causes him to say, I'm giving half my wealth to the poor. It's gone. And then it's interesting that he also says, and if I've cheated anyone on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now there's an Old Testament law that talks about um, cheating and stealing. So normally the penalty, if someone was to do that, would be, um, let me find it here. Yeah, in, uh, in, in Numbers, Chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Let me read this for you. It says, Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess, confess the sin they have committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong they have done, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it to the person they have wronged. So if you have ripped someone off, you not only give them back what you've kind of ripped or sto- ripped off or stolen from them, but also another fifth. So say I stole a hundred bucks from you and I need to make it right. I'm convicted. I need to make it right. I'd not only give you your hundred bucks, but also another fifth. So another $20. So I'd give you $120. That would be what in the regular thinking would have been what Zacchaeus should have done. He should have taken or uh, paid attention to those he had stolen from and paid them back all those amounts plus another fifth. But there's another Old Testament law that's more geared towards those who are I guess the word is like rustlers, those who steal livestock and animals from other people. And it is a bit more um, intense. It's a bit more demanding. It says, if you've stolen, this is from 2 Samuel, it says, if you've stolen a lamb, you must pay it back four times over, for you did such a thing and had no pity. So under that standard, if you were like a rustler, someone who steals livestock, then you would not just add a fifth to make up for the offense, but you would pay back four times as much. And notice that Zacchaeus is putting himself, he's choosing to put himself in that category. If I have stolen from anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. Basically connecting the dots like, I'm a rustler. I've stolen so much from people. I'm not just going to do the minimum of a fifth more. I'm going to go four times as much. So if he's already given away half his amount, sorry, half his wealth, and now he's going to pay people back, those he's wronged, four times as much, I don't know how much money he has, but it feels like he's now getting down, like he's giving all his money away. It feels like it's all going away. And that's what happened. And this is what Jesus says to him in verse 9. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. So what kind of dinner party, what kind of interaction happened at Zacchaeus's house. We don't know. We don't have all that information, but something has happened. This has been a meal of complete change and transformation. What on earth happened? So if we were together uh, in person today, I always love to turn these t- things into an uh, opportunity to have a conversation. Not so much a Q&A, but really just a chance to listen and learn and, and think about things together. And I love to ask the questions, what do you know about this story? And what do you wonder? So even where you are today, I'm not sure if you're gathering at the church this morning or if you're on vacation and be catching up on this sometimes later, but just ask yourself those questions. What do you know? What do you know to be true about that story? And what do you wonder? So if I'm thinking about that, well, what I know is Jesus 
kind of sought out Zacchaeus and called him by name. He knew he was and he wanted to spend time with him. There was something very, very intentional about what Jesus was wanting to do and who he wanted to spend with. And people were uh, upset about it. They grumbled about it. They were displeased by the choice of, of friends that Jesus wanted to keep. But Jesus knew what he wanted to do. The main thing I wonder is what on earth happened in that conversation? What could have possibly gone on that caused Zacchaeus to give all this stuff away? Basically ridding himself of all the wealth. He had probably devoted his whole life to becoming the chief regional tax collector representing the Roman Empire. And now he's willing, after this conversation with Jesus, to let it all go. And think about the grip and power of money, even for us today. The allure and draw of power and wealth that it can have on, how, how that can um, gain a grip on our own lives today. And imagine back then, it was, I imagine it was the same. And something about this interaction. So what on earth happened when my kids were little, they used to love watching uh, The Grinch movie at Christmas. Actually, they watched, watched it all year round. But if you're familiar with The Grinch, Who Stole Christmas, the book or the, the movies or whatever, there's a scene where through the whole thing, you know, The Grinch is trying to wreck Christmas, break it down, destroy it, um, stop the people of Whoville from celebrating it because he hates Christmas. But in this, you know, as the movie and the story goes on, there's this moment where he comes to this new realization and it says like his heart grew a number of sizes. I don't know if it's like four, four more sizes, but his heart kind of grows again and he, he's a completely changed person. And, and that's kind of what I think of. I think of like this guy named Zacchaeus 2,000 years ago has this dinner interaction with Jesus where he opens up his home. He would have fed him, looked after him, probably washed his feet, been the good host that would be required of a first century uh, Jewish person. And then something about the conversation, the time he spends with Jesus completely changes his orientation from moving in this direction to this direction, and he's changed. And I feel like his heart grew four sizes bigger. Something about it changed, and he's a completely different person. Here's what it makes me think today, and I'm not sure for you what it makes you think about. I met Jesus, I uh, decided to follow Jesus many years ago. Kind of had some different seasons through my teen years, but it was really probably when I was around 19 where I'm like, this is what I want to be about. Maybe I was 20. You know, and there's been times over the years where I, I ask lots of questions and have doubts, and that's always been a part of my journey. But I definitely decided in my kind of late teens, early 20s, where Jesus is what I want to pursue. So that's when I first really encountered Jesus in a meaningful way. And he changed my life. But I still meet Jesus in interesting ways. I still have interactions with Jesus in interesting ways that continues to give course correction and change for me. And sometimes I feel like, at least for some of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, it can feel like that interaction and that meeting with Jesus was a long time ago. And we forget that that change continues to happen. We have this profound, maybe, instance of deciding to follow Jesus, and then it just kind of fades. And so if you've been following Jesus for a long time, can I just encourage you to think about what does it mean to sit with Jesus even today, to welcome Jesus into your space? I know not physically right there with you, but to say to Jesus, I believe that you're here and present and you want to get my attention. And one of the things that you want to kind of spark my imagination for that perhaps I need to open up about and be willing to change and let go of, because I've been going in one direction, maybe to be a more authentic or full follower of Jesus, I need to kind of course correct and move in a different direction. So what would that look like for you? Or maybe this is whole conversation is new, this idea of following Jesus is brand new, but you sense there's something to be learned or thought of here and I would just invite you, if this is kind of that first experience for you, to say, Jesus, are you, are you really trying to get my attention? I know you're not coming and I'm not up in the tree and you're not calling me by name, 
but maybe you are kind of calling me by name and stirring something in me. And are you trying to get my attention, God? Is there something you want to say to me? Is there, are you saying there's an urgency that you want to spend time with me because you love me and you care for me? So I don't know what that looks like for you. But I love these old stories because I learned them when I was kids. And when I sit with them now, I think, man, there's still so much to think about. There's still so much to wonder about. What does it look like to be around a table with other followers of Jesus and have conversations about what are those areas in our life that we need to course correct and change and move, just as if Jesus was inviting himself over to our dinner party. So over this summer, as things open up, as you spend time together, maybe your small groups in your church are having meals together. Maybe you're inviting a few friends over. Ask each other like really good questions, like get into some good stuff about what it means to follow Jesus and how Jesus is getting your attention. Maybe even simply ask each other, what is Jesus saying to you over the last number of months as we come out of this pandemic? And how is Jesus inspiring you for the months ahead? What does that mean? Where is that going? And wrestle with that together. Talk about that together. Learn about that together because we're designed to be in community. And I think one of the most beautiful things that happened, not only for Zacchaeus and his dinner party interaction with Jesus, but even for us, that as we share a meal, as we sit around the table, as we are vulnerable and open ourselves up, that God can show up in really interesting ways and spark our conversation and lead us in new ways. And so I just encourage you, friends, that as you're spending time around the table, that bring Jesus into that conversation. Talk about what he's revealing and teaching you, the things you're feeling challenged about, and what that means for you together as followers of Jesus to move forward in the season ahead. Uh, be encouraged. Uh, invite Jesus to help your hearts grow three or four sizes bigger over the summer for whatever's coming down the line. Uh, hope to be with you down the line in person, um, cheering you on, your church, uh, everything that you guys are doing, and hope to spend time uh, together again soon. Let me just pray for you. God, I give thanks for sisters and brothers, and while we can't be together physically this morning, I'm grateful for the way we belong to this extended family of Jesus followers. And um, this story of Zacchaeus is something I've kind of learned my whole life, heard my whole life, sang songs about my whole life. And that there's something still inspiring and something still challenging about this interaction that this, this tax collector, this cheat has with Jesus that changes his whole life. And he just lets go of all of his wealth because of this encounter. And so God, I just pray that for my sisters and my brothers and my friends this morning and for my, my, in my own walk with you, Jesus, that, that there's probably things that we need to pay attention to, that we need to let go of, that are preventing us from fully knowing who you are and moving uh, and living our life in a way that completely honors you. And so help us to pay attention to those things. Help our interactions, Jesus, as we invite you into our spaces, as we open ourselves up to listen and to respond, to be willing to say, God, there's things that we need to shift and to change in order to move closer and deeper in relationship with you. And so thanks for the summer. Thanks for the good weather. Thanks that things are opening up. We're so grateful for that. Thank you for shared meals and relationship. And Jesus, we invite you to continue to inspire and lead us in the season ahead. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, everyone. Talk to you soon. Peace.